Hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Team Fight Talk Show with me, Frodan, your host, as well as once more back for guest hosting, Nathan. That's Admirable Zamora. Nathan, how are you doing this week? I'm doing fantastic. I hope that you're doing all right as well. And I noticed that you were crushing it in Challenger this week. So it looked like the, uh, you were doing all right this week. Woohoo! Mm. All right. Well, not to be outdone by another high performer in Team Fight Tactics, we have a very special guest. It is Ramblin' joining us for this episode. Ramblin', how you doing? Why don't you introduce yourself if uh, for other people who are not familiar with you? Well, thank you very much for having me here, first of all. It's a pleasure. I am Ramblin', as you may have guessed. You might not recognize me, as I don't usually use Cam, but for such a special opportunity like this, I, of course, am, would be totally willing to. So I'm excited to be here. That's great. Um, yeah, so you know, you let's talk a little bit about how you got involved in TFT prior to it. You know, you've been doing a lot of stuff with Destiny content. What about TFT really hooked you and, you know, made you even stay and try to want to compete in it? Well, just as much as I'm involved in Twitch nowadays with TFT, I was, you know, in a similar ballpark with Destiny. And as you go around the directories, you slowly start to branch out a little more to different games. You start to pick up on some different streamers. And for me, that streamer was Skara. And of course, him playing with Toast was pretty entertaining. So I was willing to check out what they had going on. And that happened to be TFT. Gave it a shot back in uh, set one. And I was hooked ever since. I didn't really play it super seriously back then, but it was enough for me to stick around from set to set and uh, eventually give it a real shot and convince myself that, hey, I, maybe I have a real good chance at doing something with this. And here I am now. Sure. Uh, which, so which set did you, you say you, said you started playing the very beginning or did you start like halfway through? Yeah, uh, I, I played set one, I, but I think I might not have played more than like 50 ranked games. I don't remember exactly. And then set two came around. I decided I'll, I'll try some actual rank this time. I had challenged that set, which was like, it was just weird to me because I like, it was, this is easy. I mean, I wasn't rank <laughs> one or anything, but I never expected it to be that easy. So I was like, I, I didn't keep up with like that every set, but it was enough to tell me that I could actually, yeah. Uh, compete fair enough fair enough um and then you know getting plugged into the competitive scene a lot of people know you from when you were first getting plugged in with the duos tournament robin can you just tell that story on the record of what actually happened how did this very you know th this budding romance this bromance uh, start from the very beginning the origin yeah, story. absolutely uh so set, that was set for pbe and this was the uh the first time that I, I, I had started playing set four like uh, a little seriously for the first time. I put some actual hours in. I got a couple hundred games. A challenger. I maintained it a decent amount. And people started to see me on the leaderboard. And uh, at that point, I got a DM from Raiditz, actually. He said, hey, you're really high ranked on the ladder. You want to play an R4.5 PB turn? He's like, sure, absolutely. But you need a partner. I, I, I don't know anybody at that point. But I had been hanging out in Robin's stream. So he at least recognized my name. And I reached out to him. And he was... You know, willing to accept, why not? And uh, we went straight to winning that tourney, and now another duo's tourney. So, pretty good track record so far. Uh, yeah, I'd say. Do you and Robin actually talk a lot, or does it just end up being like a situation where you only meet up for tournaments, and that's when you end up talking? Like, how how close are you with him specifically? I wouldn't say we're close friends, but in terms of you know TFT buddies, we're you know we're always talking about the game, whether it's in my chat, his chat, in DMs, whatever. It's good to just have somebody to bounce ideas off of, even if you're not actively playing together. It's still you know, cool to have that uh, kinship. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I'm going to ask one more question, and then and then I'll have Nathan ask a couple questions, and we can get into the show a little bit more. Just because people want to get to know Ramblin' as well, the person. Uh, what do you think 
are your your greatest strengths as a player and then the follow-up is what do you think is a, a weakness of you as a player i like this question because i've been thinking about it a lot honestly i kind of expected something like that on the talk Ooh. show it's good to know yeah, be prepared for it so <laughs> it's an interview i, I guess <laughs> if you want to talk about strength i think i, I work too really, hard i think <laughs> i have a really good understanding of the game and that's like that's it sounds like a really simple thing but when you know all the ins and outs you know all of your outs so it's really easy to make those decisions quickly and feel confident about them, which is important when it comes to TFT. You have to be confident about your decisions, and if you're not, you might as well not make a decision in the first place. Uh, weaknesses, this is something I've, I mean, I've been trying to figure out myself, because you can always improve as a player. You're always looking to better yourself, and when, you, when, when I went from, you know, one point short of qualifying in my first regionals last set, I had to figure out how could I have done better, and you immediately start looking at two eighth places. Why did I go eight twice? Uh, I think that's a, a weakness in my play style that I've started to try to work on is that I play what I like to consider consistent and not greedy, not, you know, I don't play like super risky, but the problem is I don't really account for the low rolls. So I'll play for assuming I won't low roll and that's not something you can really afford to do in TFT. Sometimes you are going to low roll and that often comes back to bite me in the case like I will roll for one unit when it's very expected to hit that one unit. But if I don't hit that one unit, I go eighth. Just because it was so astronomically low chance of that happening that I was willing to bank on it not happening. And that's got that's kind of what happened in some of those eighth place games. It happened twice at regionals last set, and then it happened two games again in the duo's tourney. So it's still hanging around, but I'm working on it. Right, fair enough. Well, I'm glad wow. to hear that you're, you're trying to patch up some of those weaknesses. Uh, Admiral, do you have any questions you want to ask Ramblin, get to know him better? I feel like I feel like Ramblin like just kind of preemptively answered all the questions I was going to ask. I mean, he said he came prepped for this uh, for this part of the uh, the podcast. My gosh, um, I, I guess I guess what I what I want to ask you is like you said you mentioned that you started taking the game a bit more seriously when this team tournaments happened. Like, at what point did you like really start digging into it though and go, well, hang, hang on a second, like maybe I need to actually just dedicate time and energy to this sort of thing. Like, did that, did that situation kind of occur, and at what point did that occur? Honestly, uh, as much as I love TFT, that uh, you can thank Destiny for that. Is <laughs> Destiny kind of went downhill for me. Not that it's a bad game, it just wasn't clicking with me. So I was looking for a new avenue to invest myself in. That happened to be TFT was the closest thing nearby. So if I was going to give anything a shot, it was definitely going to be a TFT. And it's been pretty successful ever since. So I'm glad I made that decision. That's good. And I assume that, you know, you you want to stay around for a while. Seems like, you know, some people say that, they're you know, after one or two set regional attempts, they're like done. They're going to move on. Uh, is, do you see TFT staying a big part of, you know, your stream and, and what you're doing moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I was fairly involved in the Destiny community, but I think byproduct of being a fairly top player is that you get involved in every part of the community. And this is one of the for the few communities I have been in. This has definitely been at the top. So. I've really, really enjoyed my stay. Got it. What's your favorite thing about the TFT community in particular? Since you've, you know, dabbled in quite a few yourself, what's like the thing that stands out to you the most about TFT? The, the, the players can be a bit negative about the game, but they're ne never negative about each other. And I think that's really important. Everybody, everybody is supporting each other. Maybe, maybe they joke, you know, here and there, meme around. But in the end, we're all kind of rooting for each other. And that's... It's it's weird because it's a free for all game, but because it's not, you're not actively one v one ing every individual opponent. You're kind of playing against the game, so we're all working together to beat the game. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Really well done. All right. Let's go ahead. Yeah, I, I like it so far. Very <laughs> wholesome, and I agree. Also, another thing that I think about the TFT community is that I think they're pretty hilarious. I think they're legitimately very funny. Um, so I really enjoy the memes. 
But we'll go ahead and tackle the memes later. Let's go ahead and take care of business first before pleasure. Let's talk a little about set 5.5 news, particularly the patch that dropped today in 11.19, having some buffs to some items and champions and traits, as you can see on your screen here, and a couple of reworks, which I think has sparked conversation about how it will fit in the metagame. Particularly, people have their eyes on Draven now that he has a passive that ignores 50% of his target's armor, but also has lost some of his base power to compensate. So a buff in certain areas, uh, a nerf in others. We're going to go ahead and toss up the Rambling. What's your first impression on these Draven changes? Do you think it makes a significant impact at all? You would like to think so. I mean, it, it basically eliminates the need for Last Whisper, and Mort will tell you that it's it's still a good item, and it is. It's just you can get a lot more value out of a different item. So basically, that opens up a slot in a sense. But because they brought down his numbers, you, you're a little more reliant on getting those actual AD values going. And this is going to be a really small sample size, but I played four games today. Two of them were Draven games, but I went first twice. So I can tell you that he's still he's still very much playable and in the meta. I, I can't tell you how amazing he is, but he's definitely not any bit dead, which which I've started to hear from some players is, oh, it's a big nerf. He, he's definitely weaker, and even if he might be a little bit weaker, mm -hmm. I, I think he's in such a good spot right now that he's not going anywhere. That's interesting. Um, out of curiosity, were they two different Draven games, or were you kind of playing like a core set of you know, Legionnaires or Forgottens or anything surrounding him? Like, what was the comps around Draven? Same same core. I, one was a six Legionnaire game, one was a four Legionnaire game. I had two Fawns in one of them, so that might have helped, but it wasn't the reason I was able to place well in that game. It just kind of, eventually you, you build your comp up and up, and it happened to be two Fawns, because I, I I opened forward that game literally to 31 HP, and then I won the rest of the game from there. It was like, it just works out that way sometimes. Yeah, the Chinese style for sure. Uh, Nathan, any observations on patch eleven nineteen that you've that's caught your eye? I, I I mean, I was really surprised when I saw that players were referring to the Draven thing as a nerf. I feel like it just opens up his possibility. And again, you don't need Last Whisper. Like, oh, he's drove me kind of away from playing Draven. As I'd look at the lobby and be like, I don't really have a Last Whisper. So this Draven's just going to sit on this Galio for ten minutes. Um, so I, I was kind of surprised about that one. But I, I think you just have to build them like way, way, way differently than than I used to. And I just. I, I just don't know what that is anymore. To me, like like some of the biggest changes here were, of course, again the Heimerdinger mana shifting. Um, I feel like his mana has just been like the one of the major points of his strength. It's just whether or not he actually gets to cast. Um, I think that when you reduce that by twenty minutes, like it's two or three less autos that he's going to have to make in order to to actually use the ability. So it means he'll get to use the ability sometimes. So that already feels like just a one a big one to me. The other one was just like the ash damage, like taking up by 10. It like doesn't really feel like much, but having two different avenues of things that can deal damage when you're using Draconic to get somewhere, I feel like that's a huge difference with the ash. Like, this is a pretty big impact over how much damage ash is dealing. It means it actually gets to kill some units instead of you just taking 12 damage around every single time because your ash doesn't do anything unless it has three items equipped. Mm -hmm. So to me, those, those are like two of the biggest ones. And then, of course, uh, the Tristana, I think, is like probably the biggest one where it, it feels like it's reintroduced Tristana into the idea of buying this unit again. Uh, I feel like since they had, had had the big nerf that I hadn't touched this unit at all. And so when they change it to where um, her range gets a little bit lower, which kind of sucks, but her damage ticks up a little bit, her starting mana improves, um, and then she actually jumps away from the target, it just changes the way that the unit's going to operate entirely, which means that you have to change the way that you think about the unit and the way that it's actually going to succeed. And so this just introduces like a whole new avenue of Tristana to where it's just so much different than it was before she was nerfed and way different than after she was nerfed. So it's just, you know, we haven't really had time to work with this one yet, and I'm just kind of excited to see what people can do with it. 
Okay. Um, the changes that I am most excited about is something that neither has been mentioned, which is pretty funny. So it worked out really well. Uh, which is ZZ Rot now taunts within four hexes. I don't think that was the case before. Some people were saying, like, isn't that what it was beforehand? But um, what ended up happening was when I play a frontline melee carry, like a Jax or um, or even like when I was rerolling Pled today just to see how Hellions would do, uh, the ZZ Rot actually had a very interesting interaction at the beginning of the fight that would cause a lot of disorganization in my opponent's positioning. And that disruption alone within four hexes was like a really, really big, profound moment where I was just like, wow, actually my melee carries had a lot more opportunity to ramp up. And that's particularly important if you need attack speed or like time for the attack speed and those things to, uh, to start to accumulate. So I personally am excited for that. I, per I think it's one of the sleeper changes that might end up having a very big impact the more we understand this patch. So uh, all I'm just saying is uh, don't sleep on the ZZ Rod changes. It might actually be really good. might be really good. Um, okay, so enough about that. We don't want to actually spend too much time talking about 1119 because this is the world's patch, but we don't know too much. It's fresh, fresh off the press. We do want to talk about some other more controversial things in the community. One of them is that Matchmaking trackers, which are third-party apps such as Blitz or TFT, have been circulating within the community and generating discussion on whether or not it is cheating by the guidelines set by Riot. Because they, what Riot has been saying very publicly for a while is that they don't want matchmaking to be predictable. They don't like the fact that people have basically cracked the code, and for people who aren't familiar with it, it's um, as long as it's, it's whatever how many players are left in the lobby minus uh, the four most recent matchups and then the other three that you can play. So if there's eight players and you've played four opponents, you can't play those previous four. And it'll be one of the three that you haven't played. And then it'll be a rolling tally ever since then. Right. I said that they don't like that, that that people know this and that they've been thinking about changing the matchmaking algorithm. But for now, Mortdog, very surprisingly, a couple days ago said that they're going to allow it. Ramblin, what's your view on permitting the matchmaking tracker? You know, what, what do you even think about the fact that, you know, people are arguing that this is, you know, not good for the game or they don't like it, they think it's cheating, etc.? I'm a little surprised in two ways. I'm surprised that they made this decision and I'm surprised that it, if they were going to make this decision, it hasn't happened before now. I feel like not much has changed. Maybe, maybe something internally that would lead them to the decision, but I feel like if they were going to do this, it probably should have happened a long time ago because this, this is known, like the matchmaking has been solved for a long time now. And that basically turns it into one, a knowledge check. Do you know how the matchmaking works? And two, it is really weird to think about in TFT. It's like a gear check in the sense that do you have the tools to, to manage this? And some, for some people, that's just a mental thing. But now that we're bringing in the actual automatic trackers, it's just like, do you have this? And that's in some ways a good thing, but in other ways, some players still might not even know about this. So if, they're, okay. if they don't see this on Twitter, they're going to have no idea that they're at a disadvantage. It's true. I think that from my perspective, I just wish that they built it into the game, right? Absolutely. To like let people know that what's going on, because uh, as Rampa mentioned, it is an advantage for people who know and, and people who don't. And it's not something that you can even find unless you go and search for specific... Uh, things on the internet in order to discover it. So I don't like that. I also don't like that that it widens the gap between the mobile and PC player base. Playing on mobile already has its pretty significant disadvantages, whether it's like positioning and scouting. And now it's like, well, here's like an add-on for you to to get an even further advantage. 
Um, and I know that Riot probably doesn't like it. Nathan, do you have any opinions on on this at all? I, I, I mean, yes. I don't even know where to begin on this sort of stuff because this was all over the place with um, with like Hearthstone stuff and like where Deck Tracker was working in, in that one for a long time. And the the TLDR in Hearthstone was that players didn't want to have to use it because they wanted it to test the memory. At tournaments and stuff, you weren't allowed to use deck tracker because you were live and in person you were playing on a software or you're playing on a, a piece of hardware that has been provided to you you couldn't have any of your own tools with it but at home you could do whatever you wanted and that's where like most of the qualification process for these for these live tournaments ended up happening and it really just kind of got to the point where it's like do we really just need to test if people can count to 30 on some of these cards like there's all sorts of little dumb tools you can use in the game to actually keep track of this stuff which then then they started making arbitrary rules against her it's like well you can't open up your opponent's text box to chat to them while they're playing because what players were doing at live tournaments was they were just typing to their opponent what cards had been played and then copying it and deleting it and then pasting it back in and deleting it and adding to it it was just it was just nonsense it was just like a bunch of like stuff you had to go through and tick through it and when it's these very simple things that like the game has a rule which does it but you're not allowed to use anything to assist you. That just seems foolish to me. So I am happy that they've just been like, look, if, if it's something that's tracking the matchup thing making because players have solved it, that's good. But then there's just like all these li weird little rules around it that keep happening. And it's just like, why not just let this happen? Like, if there's a reason that you get paired against somebody else that isn't truly random, just assist players in doing that. Like, it's, it's already such a giant barrier to get into the game. It's like you have to learn all these different items. You have to learn all these different languages for how the teams are working. It just it keeps going on and on. Why add another layer to this that also is like a check of knowledge research that you have done that isn't related really at all to the game whatsoever? It's related to the community at that point. I feel like you should just be encouraging people to go those places via other methods and then assisting them in the meantime. You know, it... it, it it's plenty of things that can add depth to a game without adding complexity. It's like, it, you know, we could invert the controls on StarCraft and that makes it more complex, but it doesn't really add depth to the game at all. Just don't add complexity if it doesn't add depth. Okay. All right. And I think we're pretty much aligned on this uh, and, and we'll see how things continue to develop. But the important thing is that you can download it without fear because the, the problem was that people were worried that they were going to get banned for downloading things like the Blitz app. You'll be fine. Drachi in chat says... The, they, they don't even think it's that great. So uh, some people are even that high on the app and they've been trying it out. It's different for each person, for sure. Um, speaking of scouting, there's a new feature that is going to be implemented, or at least test for now. On PBE, when you scout somebody, your little legends will teleport to that board. And so this is supposed to, of course, have some interaction, like you can go and jump into the board and continue to throw out emotes and dab on your opponents. But also, you can see who is scouting you. If you know their little legend, they'll pop up. So basically, if I know that Ramble, Ramble what little legend do you use? Dongo. The, the, the Dongo? Yep. Absolutely. All right, cool. So Ramblin's Dongo appears. You know that Ramblin is scouting you. Maybe that make, invites you to look at his board ah. to see what he's doing. Maybe you do some, you know, Zephyr swapping, whatever. Like, there's some interesting interactions, uh, but it's a test on the PBE, and they're, they're thinking about launching it. What are, what are our thoughts here, Ramblin? What do you, what do you think about this? I'm going to start off by saying I think it's really cool. There's nothing, there's nothing uninteresting about it. I think it's really cool they're even trying it. I just have my concerns about the effect it will actually have on gameplay, and this is probably somewhat the intention, but I don't really like it being linked to scouting. Now, I, I, like, I like the idea of being able to hang out on other people's boards, but I like, as an example, and I def definitely want to give this a shot first and see how it plays, but I might prefer 
if you could hang out on somebody's boards and scout another board without literally the two being linked. So I could be hanging out on your board, Prodan, and scout and Admiral at the same time, but I'd still be on your board. I would like that more personally, because I right. feel like tying it to scouting is going to make people very cognizant of the fact of being scouted, of course. And maybe that's a cool thing. Maybe that's an extra layer of depth. But I think that kind of gives a disadvantage to players that are very aggressive about scouting and very cognizant of it, because not all players are. So when you see me hanging out on your board the entire time, because I'm keeping a special eye on you, you're going to pay even more attention to me when you might not have in the first place. So I'm Fair a little enough. worried, but I'm not saying it's doomed. I think it's I think it has potential. I think it's awesome that they're trying it. I, does, does your character jump around? Like if you just if you're pressing that tab button constantly to get through everyone's board is your is your unit just like jumping around from like as quickly as possible around all those spots because that's i'm just going to accidentally infuriate people if that's the case because i just jump everywhere i think it's a one second delay okay that's actually like a super big benefit to that then um i'm kind of interested in this because i do just like the idea of the hanging out process i think i think that like with auto battlers it's been really tough to like connect the fact that you're with like eight players necessarily and like Dan kind of introduced this idea to me as well, where it's like when you hang out in the carousel and everybody's there, it reminds you you're in a game with seven other players right now. Like you're all on the same board and you're all battling against each other. And I was like, wow, this is really like a really tough concept to kind of introduce. And how do you get players actually feeling like they're next to each other? The fact that now I can jump onto Dan's board and just sit there with him the entire time. And he reminds me to scout and I say, nah, I'm okay. And I just keep playing the game as I normally do. It feels like that's like a now a real thing that exists. And you can do that with both your your mortal enemy and your best friend at that point. I think this is a cool concept, but I do really like the idea that Ramblin has here of introducing the uh like the uh reconnaissance plan where you're like you're you're fake scouting somebody else. I think that's actually like a really cool idea. <laughs> I like the idea that when someone hits an absurdly fast like Lucian 2 at, at like 26 or whatever that all seven people on the board just like can teleport in and look at the same time and just be kind of like emoting each other or pinging and doing all kinds of fun stuff. I like that. That interaction sounds really fun. Um, but I do agree that if people choose to scout like, you know, the Koreans in Bebe where they like to hover scout, which is to click and hold the unit, tab through all the boards really quickly and then reposition and they do that for the last two seconds, and they do a cost, it's just going to be kind of a nightmare where you see flickering little legends going left and right onto your board. Um, and this, that's distracting. Uh, so I wonder what that ends up happening. Um, we'll see. But either way, it's an experimental feature on PB, which I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of fun with when set 6 PB launches. Speaking of launching, the Riot launcher is coming soon. Which is very interesting because I don't know how this applies to TFT. TFT is still a game mode within League of Legends. So this might not even be news that's applicable to us. This could be much more for Valorant and Legends of Terra and the unannounced Riot MMO slash fighting game, for example. But either way, this was long overdue um, because Riot actually has, you know, fulfilled the prophecy of being Riot Games. They actually have multiple games now. Um, so I don't know. Is, is, there, is there anything particularly that, that stands out to you about this news piece, Ramblin', or should we, should we just move I on? think it could be lead to something interesting. I don't think it's very noteworthy yet as a TFT player. I mean, maybe it means something, but I, I think we shouldn't expect much. Agreed, agreed. How about let's talk about set six a little bit, shall we? Seems really exciting. We talked about PBE in just a few short weeks. Set six PBE will launch. Now... I will add as a caveat, a lot of the art 
doesn't look very inspiring, but it's labeled everywhere in the reveal video that it's a work in progress. So, you know, and I'm sure Riot cares a lot about art and skin. That's almost like their entire business model, <laughs> so to speak. So don't worry, rest assured, I'm, I'm sure their art department is getting get, gonna get on it. Um, let's talk a little bit about what was revealed. Uh, the big mechanic for set six that defines it, similar to Chosen and Galaxies and Shadow Items, uh, Radiant Blessing, is the Hextech Augments, which will allow you to do unique things in the game um, that also like range anywhere from getting like some extra goals, some extra free rerolls, to just having a bunch of power. And then other things are coming back, like the ornaments that you see here. So first impressions, what do we think about set six? We'll start with Nathan, because we've been going to rambling a lot to, for first impressions here. I mean, I, anything that brings back Orn items, I, I'm all in for. Like, this is this is one of my favorite mechanics that was in, in TFT ever, was just Orn and, like, crafting an item by having this unit sit and play. Like, y'all, y'all mentioned this Riot Launcher and kind of been like, yeah, yeah, this, it's not really that big a deal. I, I My head just opens up to so many possibilities, and that's where Orn items crop in again for me, is that it's like, this is like a way to keep the idea of, like, Radiant things introduced where it's like you're getting something special it's not something that you can rely on it's something that you have to adapt to um and that to me is just always such a big deal is when you introduce these powerful effects that don't necessarily like like sometimes they can be game defining but sometimes they're not game defining they're just very powerful effects but everyone gets one i think that's really a cool thing and just the orn items in particular like there were so many interesting little unique things about orn items that just don't exist in the game and i love that I love the Orn item things, and I just want to get back to it. You know, with the talk, kind of talk about the Riot Launcher, it's kind of weird that there's not a TFT thing on its own yet because it's kind of just becoming a real, actual, functioning, it's its own game. It's not necessarily just a TFT game anymore. Um, they did pull me back into a couple games of League of Legends, um, going through that client a lot uh, during the set that. five release, uh, where I just I just played Orn in the top lane constantly just because I, I missed the Orn items and I wanted to know what Orn was like on TFT. I'm sorry, on, on League of Legends. I was introduced to Orn on TFT before I was on League of Legends. Pretty crazy to think about. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, some of the augments we mentioned do crazy stuff, like all your ranged champions will now get plus two range for the rest for for uh, the battles. Allows you to level up to ten, not just fast nine. There might be there's legit a fast ten strategy available. I'm not sure if it's good. Um, and also, hey, matchmaking apps aren't needed anymore there's an augment that will tell you who you'll fight the next round so lots of interesting ideas being thrown out here rambling give me some of your first impressions when i think set six reveals so far i think potential and i can't think much more than that honestly just based on what they revealed but when you look at augments the potential and the possibilities are infinite because they can always come up with a new augment just as they came up with a new galaxy they can take augments out, they can rebalance them, and that's a lot to manage, and I'm sure that that's going to be the difficulty of this set for them, is getting that in the right spot, but that means that they can continue to add on and adjust as much as they want over the course of the set, and that's been a little bit of the restriction in the last couple of sets, is they, they're kind of limited in how far they can go from the start. So going back in the direction of Galaxies, where they have a lot of leeway up and down, I think that's a really good thing. Okay. I mean, it looks like it's going to be fun and pretty wild. Like, there's going to be some wacky stuff. I'm sure there's going to be egregiously imbalanced uh, augments compared to others. But, you know, we know that the Riot team will work to get it, uh, you know, at least as close to balance as possible. Some of the revealed champions also have some first-timers. I believe uh, Quinn has been revealed. I don't know if we've had Quinn in uh, Teamfight Tactics yet. 
Um, but there's also going to be some return of some people's familiar uh, favorite favorite champions like Blitzcrank. I love Blitzcrank. I think he's a very interesting unit always, um, and I would love to see it. Oh, and Oriana finally makes her appearance, which makes sense given the Hextech augmentation. Perhaps the most exciting thing for people who are watching this podcast, though, and for a lot of people who maybe have stepped away from TFT, is duos mode. With the launch of Hyper Roll in set five, a lot of people were really excited, like what other lab modes would release. And Riot has confirmed what many people have already suspected. So it might be the worst kept secret given what was going on in China. But 2v2 mode is coming to TFT finally. So Ramblin and Robin can actually dominate in an official capacity instead of these like makeshift ad hoc tournaments where it's like, are we playing each other? Are we not? Uh, Rambit, is this what you're most excited about with set six? The it's the mode? most exciting thing that's happened to TFT, I think. I mean, not even just for me, I think in general, because this really opens up the social aspect. You know, we're talking about the little legend parties, and that's awesome, but it's nothing compared to actually playing with your friends. So I'm really looking forward to it. not just to play with Robin, but to get a chance to link up with some other members of the community maybe I haven't got a chance to play with yet, because you can't. I mean, you're seeing a lot of people now like Soju, and they're getting in these group calls, and they're Q-sniping each other, because it's a fun party experience, and that's what TFT is missing. So I'm really looking forward to that opportunity in a game like this. That's right. I'm looking forward. Ram, would, would you ever try to go for rank one in solos and duos at the same time? Sure. I, I think it's going to really boil down to how the duo ladder works. I want to know, you know, how much does your individual performance matter versus you, how you play with a certain teammate? Uh, you know, you're going to be completely separate spots on the ladder. I don't know. And I, I really want to know, how, like, how wide a range of players you can team up with. Because I would love to team up with anybody, honestly. I don't care who I play with. I think it'll be fun to play with my, my friends that maybe aren't quite on challenger level. But we'll see how much that affects, you know, matchmaking and ranks and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I imagine it'll probably have something similar uh, where there's, like, an expected range of uh, of uh, of your division rank you can't just like be challenger and queue with like a silver player but uh we'll see nathan talk to me a little bit about duos mode what excites you the most about it look everybody knows that the most important part of every game you play is choosing your name and choosing your 2v2 team name is going to be one of the toughest things that i just ever in my life i'm going to do because i know i'm going to have probably 18 or 20 different team name factors that are coming into play here, if that's the way it's going to end up panning out. Uh, the individual team performance thing, I think that's going to be a very big part of it. Um, I'm curious how that's divided, but if I don't get to choose team names, I'm going to riot. I just, that, that's the whole point of having any team ever is choosing team names, and it was always the thing that I spent the most 45 minutes on every single morning that I was making a new okay. 2v2 team when I was playing WoW. Um, just that, that's what I'm most looking forward to. But seriously, like the, the idea of playing with your friends, it's hard to play with your friends in TFT because you're also playing against each other at some point. And that's one of the, my least favorite things about strategy games is actually playing against my friends. Sometimes you queue in your friends at tournaments. kind of sucks, honestly. Um, playing with your tournaments at a strategy uh, tournament, though, ah, yeah, that's, that, sounds, that sounds fun and exciting. And it's something that I've rarely gotten to do because it's, just, it's hard in strategy games to construct an actual team thing from a game that wasn't built as a team aspect. Um, but it was pretty easy in this game. Just kind of seize it out. Just make it 2v2 instead. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited that I have another person to blame besides myself, uh, finally, in TFT. I, I run out of excuses dog, of at course. times, and I have to, you know, pony up and blame myself. Now I don't have to in duos mode. So that's one. Um, the second thing that I want to call out, and this is a challenge to Ramblin' once more, how about having two accounts in Challenger for duos mode and queue at them at the same time 
as a team in your two boxing and play both games at the same time what do you think if mortal let me i'd love to try it okay if it's I, if it's within tos you're yeah it sounds it. fun it sounds interesting it sounds worth a shot so I, I would i'd be totally down i would love if that was a tournament in itself it's actually four players in the lobby but they all have to play two different accounts I think that sounds really, really cool. Uh, I imagine it would boil down to a lot of re-rolling. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I can uh, press D on two keyboards at the same time. I mean, that, that does sound pretty nutty, uh, but I, I, I'm excited. I, I just like that it opens up possibilities. You know, you, you talk about potential. Uh, maybe if dual mode takes off, then we can get four, 4v4 mode in some capacity. And what would that look like? Obviously, that's somewhere down the line. We want to. We don't want to put the cart before the horse, but this is one of the biggest things that could potentially happen to TFT, both from casual and competitive. And uh, I think all of us are just we couldn't. It can't. It can't over, be overstated. We're really excited. And we're looking forward to see what's got. All right. Well, that brings us to the big portion of our show. Normally, we do a segment called Agree, but we've done so many agrees on set 5.5 and when we were brainstorming some of them we had a couple of you know okay ones like hey do you think like 2v2 mode should be the main competitive format we're just like nah. and these are kind of weak agrees instead uh what we decided to do was when we were coming across most recent news Something happened in the week about a week ago with Mort Dog, Delicious Milk, and Mismatch Sock. They all got into a Discord call similar to what we're doing right now, and they decided to create something called the Phantom Scale. Uh, for people who don't know, in Magic the Gathering, uh, one of the lead designers, Mark Rosewater, or Morrow for short, would always go and retroactively talk about mechanics that were in Magic the Gathering, like keywords or just different things about the game, and evaluate how good they were for the game in terms of uh, the likelihood to bring it back. A very popular mechanic, a good mechanic, will make a good return. You know, something like Reforger and Magnetic Remover. I think most people can agree that that's a really good thing from set four that came back in set five, and we all love it. So what we wanted to do with Ramblin' in honor of that was, you know, since Ramblin' is considered to be a very, you know, brainy player, very logical, um, a lot of people like to talk about how well-rounded he is, I'd love to also hear about what he feels about these mechanics, and we do our own phantom scale on set five mechanics. We don't have time to do set one to five because there's a ton of different things. Uh, but the reason why it's called the phantom scale, just for reference, is because it's alluding to set one phantom synergy, where phantom at the beginning of the round would randomly curse a champion on the enemy board and put at 100 health, effectively putting it at, you know, kill range. And so it would be completely random, and sometimes it would hit your carry with three items and all of a sudden it just die, or it would hit something completely useless. Um, and it was a mechanic that was so widely hated that most people would agree that it should never, ever return. So that's why we call it the fan scale, because at the very end of the extreme is phantom and on the other is whatever mechanic you truly love and think should return i think that covers it nathan right did i do a good job with the I, I believe so yeah i mean it, it's it's yeah it's yeah very well explained okay okay great so with that what we're going to do is uh go line by line so we're gonna start off with the six hp cost unit in this case it's timo and ask Ramon to grade it from one to ten ten being the highest in the Phantom Scale, I mean, you don't want to return. One meaning, you would really love it to return because you think it's just, like, the hottest thing ever. So, Rambin, why don't you go start off with Timo? Well, I'd love to give it a 6, but I'll give it a 7. Uh, I think I think Timo is a really cool idea. I think it's a really fun concept. 
I just think that there's always going to be problems with it, no matter what you do. With like, you, there's a little bit of leeway with, in, in these designs, but they can, you know, they can change the number, they can change the balance of the unit. But the problem, the problem with Timo is always two starring him, and like, I think buying him as a one star is awesome. It's it's a decision to make. It's just the only time you can afford to buy a two star Timo is when you're very far ahead. And if you're not very far ahead, you don't. It's it's not a very interesting decision to me. So, I I like the decision of buying one. It's just two starring it is a completely different ballpark. So, HP being a core resource of the game, I could see it coming back. I just don't think it's very likely. Okay, Nathan, would you like to go second? I was actually thinking it was much more unlikely than that. I'm I'm giving it a nine, um, because I think that the idea that a unit's costing health instead. Uh, six health in particular was to me was you know pretty extreme, uh, but a unit costing health instead it's like it's so draining to your resources. Like it is a decision to buy, and it's kind of interesting with it. Um, to me, it feels like something that would crop up not in your shop, but rather crop up as like an event that takes place. Um, so I think it's pretty unlikely to show up in the rolling again. Okay, fair enough. Um, I pretty much echo the same thing as Ramblin, but I would give it a higher rating, so I'd probably give it A6, which is very on point for Teemo. Flavor-wise, I think this was great and very fun design-wise, right? Teemo is the devil, as we all know. He's an evil Yordle, you know, the king of the Hellions, ruler of the underworld. Uh, he, you should have three sixes in order to summon Teemo 666, right, to his good, his powerful form. Um, costing HP, right, you're making a, a, a pack with the devil, but balance-wise, man, this unit's been just a headache and a half. Uh, just, you know, because it costs too much HP. The reality is it's just such a big trade-off that it almost feels like it's not interesting because it's very binary as opposed to these shades of gray that Ramblin is trying to advocate for. So I'm very much uh, aligned here with y'all. I, I, I would like them to bring it back, but if they do, it would have to be reworked significantly as opposed to just, like, this thing that is very all or nothing. Okay, let's go with... Uh, line number two here, Shadow Items. Now, Shadow Items, for people who didn't play Set 5 Reckoning, we're at 5.5 right now, was items that had downsides on top of very powerful upsides, and you had to weigh that risk versus reward. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, chat is voting on stuff, and they're split 50-50, what it looks like to be probably yes and probably no. So they're not entirely sure themselves. Uh, Nathan, why don't you take the first crack at it? Shadow items here. Uh, I'm giving this a four. Um, I think that they are likely to make these happen again, but the way that they happened, I think, was a bit overboard, and I think it was like too much of like the main idea feature of this one. Um, items are like a super important part of the game. Like items actually determine more of your composition, I think, than like the actual units that you're finding a lot of times. Uh, because the way that your items actually end up pairing together and end up working, it kind of dictates like what units you're going to buy. And so like you kind of get it pushed to like one group or the other. Um, and so I think that shadow items are likely to come back, but I don't think that they're likely to be such a core feature where it's like you like half the items you're going to have are shadow items. Sometimes, sometimes you're going to have one shadow item or two shadow items. Sometimes you're going to have like five shadow items. I don't think it's going to be back in that same department. I think there's a lot of balancing stuff that happens. So I think when it happens, it's more of like you get something that turns your item into a shadow item, or maybe you find two of those a game um, rather than the way they did it before, which was memorize two different charts uh, of what all these items do. Uh, by the way, you have a week and then the ladder starts. Yeah. I, okay. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Ramblin, why don't you go second here? I'm going to go the other direction and give it an 8, actually. I do not like shadow items, and I don't think a lot of the community, especially the casual community, likes them. They just are way too complicated. Adding a, a completely different layer of items to know and recognize and 
memorize is just too much. The down, you know, the drawback is okay, but nobody likes like a lot. Some of the items are just too damaging, and it makes you feel bad to put on your unit, especially when you didn't want that item. Sometimes you just you get stuck with an item, and I think that was a reoccurring problem for the the components, especially is having shadow items in the mix meant sometimes you were just never able to get that exact component you needed. It was an extra layer of RNG you needed to get through. So I was not a fan, and I don't expect them to come back. But I do think they were interesting. It's just I don't think they are going to be able to be executed well. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and say 10. I don't want them to ever come back. I think that the reason why I feel so strongly about it is because TFT already has... TFT already has so many bad feelings in the game, okay? There's so many ways for you to feel bad already. Let's just remove the things that are unnecessarily causing additional pain. But, yeah, you know, like grouping together all on my board because I hit a Lucian 2-star on 2-6. Get off my board, all seven of you! On the PBE like, here? I'm, I'm sick of it! Half the time with items, it feels bad to slam certain things, but you gotta do it anyways, right? It's like, let's let's not make those situations feel even worse! The game already has so many inherent trade-offs, risk versus reward, and I appreciate what Shadow Items tried to do, because it was basically like another layer of complexity. There's people in the chat right now, like Pocket Gum and Goobum, talking about how there was moments that they liked Shadow Items a lot, but you know they recognized that it's probably not healthy for the player base that it exists, and Ramlin brought it up. I just feel like in a, the way they were implemented, absolutely not. Would it be something cool? Like I think a cool iteration of Shadow Items would be like, the way magnetic remove and reforger is, you could perhaps like curse a unit and give it like a power, but like to have it be this entire crazy web of decisions based off the grid of what items can combine off, it was just too much. It was too much. I yeah. would not like to see it come back whatsoever. I feel very strongly about it. Yeah, I think like they make a hero that when they hold items, they're shadow items, yeah. uh, like a five cost hero that does that, or like again, like something like you said, like, that curses the item and turns it into a shadow item. Mm -hmm. I think that's much more of a possibility than like. The, the web of deceit that exists with whether or not these items are actually good or not. I do agree that like having a half shadow item and then a not that that part's ridiculous. Yeah. I will just use this as a launch pad to go into the third one though. I like radiant items a lot because uh, I'll give it a three here. Um, I would like to, I don't know if I just like always wanted to come back, but I like the idea that because things across the board are naturally stronger than their usual versions, it creates you to think about situational use cases of them that you don't have before. Like a lot of people wouldn't use things like, you know, the static shiv and whatnot, but sometimes it's like your only way to get any kind of offense going for a magic based date composition. And I would not really consider it in a normal situation. Now, granted, I, I haven't really picked, you know, that item very often, but I just like that idea that there is a possibility for you to think about these items in a different way. Um, and I think that's what Radiant Items have done very well. And I think the timing of it ended up being really good too at 3.6. I wasn't sure if that was like a really, like uh, if that was too late or too early, but in the end, I think Radiant Items really landed very well for me this set. Ramon, why don't you go second? I'll give it a five. I, I like them. I, I, I do really appreciate what they did for the game. They made slamming items early feel a lot better. You didn't feel as bad about making all defensive items because you always had an out of getting an offensive item as your Radiant, and that always felt good. Now, it doesn't happen every time, and sometimes you don't get the right answer you're looking for, but just knowing that you have that potential, it, it was, was appreciated. I think my problem with them is they were just a little boring. Um, I really like the Radiants that are a little more creative and a little more experimental, and that's all the damage items, really, are just kind of boring to me. They're just like, oh, you do more damage. Awesome. That's not really interesting to me. But when you look at something more like Banshee's Claw, where it's a, it's a Banshee on your entire team, or like Shroud and Zephyr, 
where it, it's like almost you know it, it's giving extra effects that are not you don't see on the original item i find that a lot more interesting so the utility options i think are awesome but the damage items just always felt like oh i need this damage item so i'll take it and not it does gives me this cool effect so i want it, it it's just a little a little too formulaic oh better bloodthirster it's just for, for some of them, I guess, yeah. you know, Raymond does bring up a good point. A lot of them do feel quite uh, vanilla in that sense. Yeah, I did, you know, I never really looked at it that way, honestly. I'm, I, that's kind of interesting. The, in terms of utility, yeah, I was always like, I was like, wow, these are so much different, so much cooler. But so many times I'm just heading that 3-6 and I'm like, golly, I hope I find a bloodthirster. Um, you know, I have like a, like a cloak that's been sitting there for, you know, two stages now and I haven't found a way to use it. And I'm just like, I'm like, oh, I really hope I get a sword. Um, you know, then when I find bloodthirster, I'm pretty stoked and I'm like, I can use the cloak for something else. Um, I love the radiant item things, and I think these are very likely to return again. Um, I'm probably giving this like a three, um, where it's like, I don't think you could do it all the time. It's not always going to be the same sense of radiant items, but in terms of the way it's working is it's like, it's something that you know in the game. It's something that's added. It's something that everybody's going to get to get, and it's going to come at a time that's trying to create a different inflection point in the game than what is like the necessary inflection points of the game are the ones that we kind of see which is you know right now it's like it's like three two and four one are like the two biggest ones that stand out to me coming in at three six means that a lot of different things are happening and a lot of the way that you time your stuff can really have big impact and i love that sort of idea uh, i think it's very strong for the game i think it's healthy for the game and i think it's also a lot of fun it's added a lot of perspective to me instead of sitting there at stage three and just kind of going well i hope i keep getting gold in the units i'm looking for um that's pretty much all i've done stage three but when i'm looking forward to that rating item i'm very happy about it so i'm hoping this keeps going back all right. So chat also thinks around this area. They're saying like, yeah, probably yes. It seems like that's got the majority of the vote. Um, so they're basically around where we are in terms of the sentiment. I didn't say what happened before, but it's pretty clear. They also voted a resounding no on shadow items, like over 90% voted no for it. So they don't really want to see that come back. Let's talk about emblems. Now, emblems for all traits... Uh, is the first time we've seen that. Ba basically, if, if it's a, a trait in TFT that isn't a legendary trait, like Victorious for Garen or Cruel for Timo, it was possible to see it on a carousel or from a Tome of Traits. Um, Ramblin, how do we feel about this? This is an easy two for me, and I will explain why it's not a one, but first I want to say why I like it, and that's just that it opens up these possibilities you would have never considered before. For all they talked about of it being a balanced nightmare, it seems, I mean, I'm sure they had to consider these things beforehand, but it ended up working really well in my book, and nothing really stands out as being, maybe that's just the product of the set, but nothing is overly broken, like, oh, if I get this one crazy emblem, I just win the game. It, it doesn't really seem like that. It's just like, it feels good to be able to try stuff out that you can't just force every game, and that's like a high roll moment that comes to you. The only reason I'm not willing to give it a one is because I can totally see a set where it would restrict their design in the sense that they can't afford to give this trait to all units, but they want to really put it in the set. And that's going back towards more something like Demolitionist. I can't imagine a set with Demolitionist in it. Oh, with God. For everyone. <laughs> so. Oh, well, they said that they're probably not going to bring back that trait in particular. Right. Uh, that's just an example, but I could totally see it being something that gets in the way of, of future design. Fair enough. Good call. Yeah. Out. Nathan. Uh, it's spot on on two. Uh, just echoing everything that that Ramblin said here. Um, 
there's a chance it restricts design stuff, and it feels like that lately they have been willing to take more risks than just about any other time. And so that tells me set six is going to, you know, you put a lot of effort into the risks you're going to take. You don't want this one to feel rushed or, or overdone. It's, it's like you have a lot of cool ideas, and you're like, let's make these possible. Um, so I, I, this is definitely something that just comes back in, in my head because it's, you know, that's part of the game. It's just traits. Traits are a big part of the game and adjusting traits. That's a, like a core interesting feature of the game. That's what spatulas are for. Um, so how do you expand that and make that more likely emblems? Yep. And that's why it's a one for me. I presume that they're going to avoid things like demolitionist trait. They understand what are considered to be toxic stretch traits versus not, and they balance accordingly for it. Um, so I putting as a one, I agree with uh, everybody who says all the good things. I mean, that's partially what makes TFT so interesting. The idea that you just had to be there. There's just that one time you got like, like four Hellion spats and, you know, just everything kept coming back, you know, over and over. I guess Hellion spat you can make. So, um, you know, Nightbringer emblems, for example, it's just really, really fun stuff that you can, you could do all the time. So that, that's a huge draw of the game. Now, Tome of Traits is something different. I want to go to Nathan here first. What do you think about Tome of Traits? feel like infuriated and confused by toma traits because every time i'm watching somebody who's like top 10 ladder play i feel like this toma trait sits on their bench for like three rounds and i'm like what on earth are they waiting for here and the answer is they're looking for a better spot and i'm like oh okay that actually makes some sense like they're trying to get more information like which teams are which directions are team actually going as soon as i get this item it is like snap sold i'm so excited to see it and I always hate that because I'm always like, ah, I, I, for whatever reason, like my, my brain just froze and I saw into the distance this mirage that I was going to get whatever exactly it is I wanted every single time. Um, I have never waited with this item whatsoever, even though I have deliberately, I have like a sticky note that I used to keep on my monitor when I was playing that said, don't sell the tome. And I, every single time I would sell it right away and then look at the thing. So I think this is, this is probably coming back. Like given this a three, it's probably going to come back quite a bit. I just don't know how it's necessarily going to come back. And I don't necessarily think it's coming back in the same way every single time. I think this is going to find its way into the game a lot of different ways. Uh, but the Toma Traits is a pretty exciting thing to see. And I never really feel bad that somebody else had a Toma Traits and that they got something good out of it. I'm like, just like, oh, geez, that person's board's really scary now. Um, it's, I've never like felt bad yeah, about yeah. not getting a bad one. I've never really felt horrible about someone else getting a really good one because I just, I don't know. I just don't personally see it that way. It feels like that it's making a difference in the game based on stuff that they did, not just because, uh, oh, you found all the perfect items and your dragon had, uh, a second carry build out for you while mine had two lockets and a, uh, and a sunfire cape. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Ramblin. I'll give it a six. I give that answer with the caveat that I expect it to come back. I just don't personally like it in its current state. I feel it is a little too high, especially, and I know they're reducing the odds on it to drop, but just the, the possibility that it can drop at Krugs, I think, is a mistake. I think that should go, because the amount that it swings right now is just too much. So, I, I like the idea behind it. I like the high roll moment. Um, I don't like how complicated the rules behind it are, that you have no idea how it actually works unless you I mean, really look into it, and you have to put that effort in to find out that you might not even know rules exist. So yeah, there's a little bit of explanation to it, but I think it should definitely be made clear in the future so people understand exactly how they should be making the most of it. But like I said, I expect right. it to come back. I just don't really like how it's being used right now. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that I just don't like that some people get in, others don't. Um, off of PvE rounds. Um, I understand that high realms exist, right? The idea that some people get spatula and others don't, or you get like for forger magnetic remover. That's all well and good, but Toma traits feels 
just under the power level of fawn to me because it just gives you flexibility and power that you wouldn't have otherwise that other people don't have access to so when tome of traits is like the radiant blessing i think that's something that's great because you can play into it you can say hey i'm actually okay with losing a little bit more hp now i'm gonna weaken my board just slightly just so that i know that i can take the damage because i really need this tome and, I, and the timing window is like perfect for me that makes more sense but when it's like one person gets it and they are just running away with the lobby, I just don't really like um, games that have that, what feels like to be determined too early. So I would give this a, uh, a six as well. I, I don't really want to see it implemented the way it currently is in the future. Now, those actually bring us to Radiant Blessings. This is the defining mechanic of 5.5 in particular. Uh, Ramblin, why don't you go first? One. I think I think is the best addition to this set. And Ooh. it's not specifically for my own enjoyment, but I think it adds a lot of depth to the game. Uh, I'm very pleased with how it played out because a lot of people initially were like, oh, people are just going to open for it and get their blessing. And yeah, that's a little bit of a bonus, but it's not an actual game plan that you really want to commit to from the beginning of the game. So I really enjoy having that combat mechanic. I think a few of them are a little too swingy. Like, I don't think Nico should be in there, for example, but I like the idea behind it a ton. I would be very surprised if it doesn't come back in some form. And I think it's core enough to the game that it doesn't really need to be anything specific to the set. It should just be a part of every set going forward. Wow. Dang. I forgot to also call a chat. I apologize. We, we were trying to get chat score um, on it, but we've had a lot of space in our graphic. So uh, next time we do something like this, when we get chat voting, we'll, we'll have you represented as well. It seems like most people very much agree with what we were saying before. Um, Nathan, Ramblin has high praise for Radiant Blessings. What do you think? Give me the stimmy. One is the easiest one of my life. I'd honestly, I'd put a zero on here if I could. Like, it just, it should be here. Like, as soon as this got put into the game, it just made sense. I was like, yes, thank you. There, like, there needs to be some sort of comeback mechanic. Like, the, you know, tactically putting yourself at a disadvantage and losing rounds in a row is a very strong strategy point that for momentum, not really a comeback mechanic. Um, this is a mechanic that kind of like puts you back to the game, especially if you're having just like one of those atrocious 4-1 roll downs where you're like, where on earth are the units that I'm looking for? Not even like like for the units to become two-star, just like units in general that work together. Like when I just find all these different fours that are just a carry from every single comp, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I just lose. Um, so having something here that's, you know, super awesome and, and giving you like a feeling of getting to 40 and not feeling horrible about it when, you know, you're just having a bad streak, very good feeling. Give me the stimmy every single time. There, that's right. Inject into his veins. Uh, I'm going to give it a two. And with the little caveat that there are certain things about the Radiant Blessings I don't like. I, you know, Ramble mentioned the Nikos. I don't like the ones that give you like Fawn, for example. I just think it's like a little bit too punishing for people who have like played a, a little bit cleaner of a mid game. Um, and they don't have a reasonable way that they can sustainably tank that much. And, and then the damage gets a little bit out of control, right? How many times have you been like at 41? And you miss your radiant blessing, and then you go to like twenty six on the next fight, and it's just like, oh crap! It's just and because the power swing is just too big at that point. Um, so I would like a little bit more normalization, but I think it's been a resounding success. And I think the just to um, just to call out something that hasn't been said before, the best thing about radiant blessings it feels like it gives more viability to other comps in other ways, right? Like reroll took so many hits over the course of sets because 
of nerfs and whatnot, but Radiant Blessings kind of leans into like the ability to make some of those things a little bit more viable, or that's how Toma Trace comes out. And so like it just it, it, it adds more versatility to the game and from your position. And I just like what Radiant Blessings have to offer for sure. Okay, speaking of options, Armories, which was almost kind of like the, the darling child to start off SF5, which is what people loved about it, um, has kind of gone through some, uh, some on moments and off moments. Oh, by the way, chat, 90% yes on Radiant Blessings. They love it too. Ramblin, what's your view on Armories? I'll give it a two. I think it's great for the game. I think it should stay. Um, I just think the effect it's had on PvE, as in the item, like you dropping items from Krugs and Raptors and whatever else, I think it's a little too damaging right now. I think they're working on ways to mitigate that and give you more exciting moments on PvE. But the fact is you drop four components from PvE right now, and that just seems like those rounds are completely irrelevant in comparison when you're taking all these components from armories. I mean, I love that aspect of it. I just think that they need to consider the impact it's having on the game as a whole. So if they can get that sorted out, I would love to see it back. Yes, it's a really good point. Um, I think the, the uh, you know when someone pointed out like, hey, a lot of times you're probably not going to get items on krugs i was like oh that that feels really really bad i feel like i'm super far behind and then the the last pv round where you don't even get items at all because you have all of them through the armies it's like well then what was the point of this it was just like a little breather moment just to collect like four gold and, and be done with it so i do think um armories that they do exist would require us to rethink a little bit about those pv moments just to make it more impactful i think uh so I guess in this case, I already said my opinion, so I'll just give it a, a solid three and then pass it back to Nathan. I'm I I'm jamming a one on this one. Like armories have become such a, like an impactful part of the game. I think both from a you know thinking perspective and then also just like an expectation perspective. Like every single round uh, or every single game, you already have a decision way early on, which is should you slam an item on two one or not. And the answer is, well, what are you going to do on the armory when it comes up? Like, what item do you want to leave here? Like, is there something that would change the way that you completely do everything because of the way the armory is going to show up? And so you have to make this decision on one. So you can get a reward for slamming an item early on 2-1, which is beginning a win streak, or you can save it and hope that you just get a win streak anyway. Like, there's all sorts of different things that happen with just an armory, just on 2-2 alone. Like, th this to me is, like, such a core part of the game. Absolutely one on this one. Um, and I want to see it in here. Frankly, I'm okay with doing away with creep rounds. I think that it's just tacking on time to the game. And really all it does is give you a second to have a breather and give everyone who has a bunch of gold a reason to hold their gold for a little bit of time. Like, the reason I like creep rounds is because I actually use them to roll a little bit and buy me some time. Like, instead of hanging on to 50 gold, I tend to roll down a little bit because I'm like, ah, this kind of just buys me 20 seconds of thinking time, and I like to use that. Um, I just want to get rid of that point and put in more armories like i think that's i think a that it's, it puts you a little bit more consistency in the game and reduces the variance by a little bit but at the same time it also adds a strategy element to the game and it also reduces the game time by a little bit because we're not having these one minute rounds all throughout the game that are doing literally nothing but giving you some item points um so i just want to see these continue to add it to the game and just get rid of the creeps at this point what's the what's the issue <laughs> Uh, I think the issue is that the game it would feel kind of foreign or like maybe maybe a lot of players would feel like they come back and all of a sudden there's no creep rounds and then it's like to throw them right into stage four or stage five even, right? The hardest parts where you're rolling down um, and there's a little bit, you know, they, they don't have that expectation. Also, I think economy has been balanced around PV a lot because the idea of like interest carrying over in PV has been like a big factor of how economy is balanced at the moment. So um, it's not as simple as just removing it. Uh, they might have to redo certain systems to compensate uh but i agree i think the creeps stuff is an antiquated mechanic and we're just kind of stuck with it because it's been there from the beginning all right the last one is viego stealing enemy units or their abilities 
Let's go with uh, Ramblin here uh, to start things off. I'll give it a six. I don't hate it. I think Vega's cool. I think he's very. He has a really cool counterplay. There's a lot of options to deal with him. Um, if you pay attention to players that are kind of like that mid skill level, not quite casuals, but they're playing some rank, they're trying to improve and, and climb. They hate him because they don't know how to deal with him. And I think that is a problem in itself that he is so toxic for a player that doesn't know how to position around him. So I think he has inherent problems as a unit just of how much impact he can have if you don't know what to do with him. But ultimately, I, I think it's fine. I mean, it can be a little frustrating sometimes. Sometimes Diego pops off, but unless they're fully stacked with QSS, mana, you know, all, they have, have everything on him. He's a five cost. I mean, I feel like he should do something, right? So I'm okay with him, but I think it'd be hard to execute again and have it like be interesting a second time. All right, fair enough. Nathan. Oh, gosh. I, when I am playing against this unit, I just feel like, I'm just like, oh, please just target the, oh, God, not the jacks. Ugh. Like, th that's just like every single time I'm playing against this unit, I feel that way. But you should see my Viegos. My Viegos always stealing the perfect unit. It's always in the right spot. I hate playing against this unit, and I love playing with it. So I just don't know what to think about this one. Um, I think that, like, ways to steal your opponent's stuff is, like, kind of weird. Um, I like it, sort of. Uh, but at the same time, it feels like it just introduces a lot of stuff that is like, what's the point of this being here? Um, I think that this is, it's pretty unlikely to return. I'm going to give this a seven, but I think that if you have like the right kind of situation and something is like really adding up to be like, ah, it just makes a lot of sense to, to take place here. Um, like this set in particular, it feels like it's here. Like this felt like kind of like the light side, dark side kind of aspect to a set where it's like, can you convert them to the dark side? Um, Viego fit in in this situation because we were introduced to shadow items in this set. So it just made sense to me in this set, but I think it's pretty unlikely you see something like this again. Yeah. Um, I like this ability. I, I guess I'm one of the few people on the planet that do, um, partially because it really challenges players to think about what they're doing with their backline. And I think TFT already has too many things that encourage set and forget. Um, and that's why I think I, my, two of my favorite units, and this probably tells you a lot about the kind of planner I am. My two favorite, two of my favorite units this set has been Diana and Viego, <laughs> uh, because I really love like the fact that it can challenge and make them do stuff. And also, uh, from a caster's perspective, it's huge moments that happen in the game. So it's just like really exciting when something can happen like that. So I think there's room in the game for that. If it can make a player like me that loves to get excited about TFT pretty happy, and I get it. I've been on the other side. I've been very frustrated by Diana. I've been very frustrated by Viego. But I believe that there is a world that they can exist. So I'm going to give it a pretty reasonable score. I'm going to give it a four. Um, and I think that these are huge moments in TFT that need to exist. You, you know, There needs to be something that can really help visually define what can help turn this tide to the battle. Because... If you don't, then you have set two, where everything's kind of ambiguous. You're like, what really changed it? Was it, like, this one Azir soldier that summoned? Was it, you know, the, the Singe Cloud that delayed things ever so slightly with poison? Like, set two had a problem with visual clarity on that. Viego is a, and, and, you know, is a unit that you can very much understand what's going on. And the slow ramp up to it, the way he's, like, corrupting their soul, stealing it, it's just very flavorful, and I really liked a lot of the way that it was done, so... I'm giving it a pretty good score. Now we're losing it right before Halloween. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, not, maybe I should give it a bad. one because of that. I don't know. Actually, yeah, fair enough. 
All right, well, that was our Phantom Skill for set five. I thought it was pretty fun. And then, you know, Ramblin' once more really delivered. I mean, I was expecting very thoughtful answers, and boy, did he uh, come through. So, well done, well done. Uh, let's talk a little about esports. We do have some news, finally, about the format and schedule of uh, set five worlds. It actually is drawing a little bit of controversy. Um, the fact that the world's format is very different from Fates Championship. It was Swiss that would cut off eight players and then advance the next. Um, but now we're going to have a play-in bracket with the bottom seed from each region. So if you're Japan or Oceania and you're like these regions that have one seed or one player being sent, you have a play-in bracket to get through. Meanwhile, people who are like, you know, Milk and Robin, for example, in North America don't have to worry about that. And this is causing um, some people to, to feel like they, there needs to be some voices raised and concerns being flagged. Um, do we feel like this is a really big problem? Nathan, what do you think? Um, I think that anytime you're having a tournament, that there needs to be a balance aspect. And when you're having to issue players to have more requirement, other than just the player that they're facing... Um, that's that, that feels like it's not okay. It feels like if you had to go through a process to get to this point, that was the process that you had to get to this point. So now that you're at this point, why does your point have to be different than everybody else's? The variable should be who you are versus who your opponent is. That's kind of it. You know, the rules of the game there. Um, I feel like when you're just at, kind of adding stuff, it feels like it's almost arbitrary at that point. And like, I, I kind of, I get where the point's coming from. Like, I, I see the points they're making. I just disagree with them. I think that when you get to a tournament point, it should be level. The choices that you made leading up to this point should be the differences, and the choices you make now that you're at this point should be the differences. Full stop. Yeah. Ramblin'? I think it's a big problem, and an even bigger problem, because I don't think the players knew this. So for the players in an A, for example, Spencer, who went third, I'm not saying he could have gotten second instead, but he didn't know that. He didn't know he wanted to go second, so... That, like, yeah, you get a little more money, but that, that really would affect your play in the tournament if you knew that ahead of time, that you right. are going to have to play an entire extra day to, to keep up with everybody else. I mean, for TFT, that's a game about consistency. That's asking a lot of these players when they're playing against the very top players in the world. So I, I, would, I would be reasonably upset if I was any of those players having to deal with it, and even more so for the players that are top seed and bottom seed in the region. It was already hard enough to qualify as the only one player that could take that spot. Yeah, it's things that they can't control. You know, Esha from Oceana can't control the fact that he's, he, that's the region he plays in. And his reward for, you know, sweating it out is he has to play with the bottom seeds. And that's just so brutal. So my heart goes out for Nukamaru and Esha and anyone else who's kind of in that boat. But I think the very first part of what you said was the most important. This wasn't communicated to the players beforehand. We need to have our communication improve. We've done so much across the board to improve things about competitive to, to improve things about tft but the one thing that seems to be a consistent and persistent problem is the lack of communication and clarity as to what to expect moving forward and this is going to sabotage the player base from wanting to invest deeper into the scene because you just it just becomes very unpredictable now i get it Part of, you know, putting the TFT Global Championship has been a, a nightmare and a half. It was supposed to be in China. I see some comments talking about the time zone. I mean, the time zone was going to always be something like that anyways, if it was happening live in China or online. They're trying to respect that. But, you know, the fact is we had no information and now we're like a week and a half away and all of a sudden you drop like how the format and the schedule is going to be. 
that's just that's just too that's very brutal to put on the players that way um to arbitrarily cut it up that way um and because it was online there's even ways for them to navigate and you know make things feel a lot better so it's just it just sucks that that's the way it went down had we known this ahead of time i'm sure players would have been much more understanding of it and maybe would have even made the regional qualifiers even more hype right like the idea that they had to play for specific seeding at that point when in most other games playing for seeding is a meme most people don't care about that in this case it's a very very big deal so yeah i just like you have to know that this is going to happen when you're trying to qualify for it. If, if that's the, the spot that it's at, it's much harder to like disagree with the points that are even trying to be made with an issue like this. It's just that, like, oh, I qualified for Worlds. And then it's like, and by the way, behind this door, you're like, oh, why? Oh, that's just so weird and unusual. Like, this this has not been done before, really, in TFT? Like, why is it suddenly being done now? I just I just don't get it. Yeah. Just, it, makes, it makes so little sense. I just... I mean, I think it's a little bit of um, like inspired by what they do in League of Legends, right? They have like a play-in world stage as well. And they're like, hey, that like usually is pretty exciting. And we got a lot of like positive feedback to get underrepresented regions more spots. I just want to open it up more. You know, I think world should be a lot more than 20 players. I would love to be like 32 and just like start reaching out a lot deeper and just have like more people at the table. And I think it makes it exciting. And I think TFT is a game that can get away with that as opposed to just like, you know, the League of Legends, like, one or two or three teams per region that they have historically done. So yeah. I, I, I challenge Riot to think about that moving forward. But let's not uh, lament about esports for too long. We have a tier list we need to get to with Ramblin' and everyone's favorite segment, the NA tier list. So Ramblin' gets to construct his top 10 in North America in any order, and it could be any criteria. It could be lifetime. It could be right now. It could be in set six as prediction. So Ramblin', take it away. The floor is yours. I'll give you my tier list, but I'll tell you ahead of time. I hate tier lists. I don't like ranking people. I don't like ranking myself. I don't think it means anything in a game of TFT, especially, where it is so subjective and it's so much variance going on. But it is a fun thought experiment, and you could think about, why do I think this player is better than the other? And... If so, why do I value that skill? And maybe I need to focus on that myself. But let's start with number one. I'm going to put Robin. And I think this is a very safe pick Ooh. after his performance at NA Regionals. But okay. I want to give him a special shout out because if you had asked me to make this list a couple months ago, I would not have put him anywhere near first. He probably would have been closer to 10, maybe 9. And that really speaks to how much he's improved. And I think that's awesome that you can improve in a game like TFT when you've already played so many games over time. And you put in that time and effort and it pays off and to see him play so well at regionals and just completely crush it. I'm really, I'm really proud of him. So I'm hoping he'll do, do well at Worlds. And I think he's definitely my number one pick in the night right now. Wow, so wholesome. Can I ask, what do you think was the biggest area that Robin Songs has grown in as a player to put him from someone that barely made top 10 to number one? I think he became, and it's hard to say because I haven't watched him that much. You know, he's probably who I've spent the most time talking to and watching, but... I'll never know another player as well as myself, but from what I've seen, I think he's just become more confident in his play style. So when he identifies what works for him, he sticks to it and he does it well and he executes. And that's important to know what your best route is, even if it isn't the best for somebody else. So he was able to identify that after, you know, he had a, rough, a rougher day one because he wasn't playing his comfort zone. On day two, he played his comfort zone and he popped off. So that's really what it comes down to in TFT. All right. All right. I was just holding up the number. I was just holding up the number of fingers that he had uh, for first oh, place oh, that oh. day. 
He could just make a big five and then put it to a fist and then punch the screen. Like, that's just a good promo video that I want to see. Yeah. All right. All right. Is that it? Is that the tier list? Are we done? Yep, that's it. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we can put Pocky second. Let's put Pocky second. All right. Pocky, I think Pocky, Pocky is just a consistent player. He's not a player I know super well, but every time I see him, he's playing well. And he has that creative brain that a lot of players don't have. Even I might not have, I'd say. So he's able to identify outs that I would have never considered. From what I've watched him, I think that's really impressive to play well and play creative at the same time. And there's a couple other players like that. We'll get to them. But Pocky, I think, is the one that's done it most consistently in his games. And I'm sad to see him not make it because I do think he was at the very top here of potential for Worlds. Agreed. Uh, we can go the, three here. Restart yeah. Callista Assassin. Yeah. <laughs> I don't enough. know about that one. <laughs> no! <laughs> let's, let's, let's not pay attention to that. <laughs> uh, three, I'm going to throw Milk on here. And I'm going to be honest, Milk is an enigma. Every, for everything I've seen and heard from Milk, I would not think he's an exceptional TFT player. And I don't mean that as disrespect. I just think that he doesn't convey himself very seriously. But his play always is. And that's just weird to me that when it, when it really comes down to it, he can perform and that's what he did at NA regionals so he's had like I've been watching him play with Soju I don't know how seriously he's taking those games but him going like eighth right now means nothing to me because I know he can turn it around and just deliver when it comes to the real thing it's true um in terms of tournament performances Milk very quietly has some of the you know most consistent tournament performances in North America I think people are like you know enamored by Robin's recent results or other names that be brought up, but Milk historically is like the most consistent North American player, so it's good to see. Number four, let's go with Sox. Fan favorite, classic, everybody knows him. He's got the most proven results, I think, at this point. We talked about Milk's consistency, but Sox qualified twice. That's hard to match. So maybe he didn't have his best showing this set, but I don't think that takes away from his legacy. And I expect him to be strong Back strong next set, even as a father. So I think throwing him at a four, I feel pretty good about. Right. Just listen to esports law talk about the dad debuff. It's like his second favorite thing to talk about outside of what the TFT meta currently is. Uh, it's very real. So I think Sox, I think it's impressive that Sox did as well as he did because he had a baby like 48 hours before regionals. It's kind of nuts, actually. Uh, number five, let's go with Ramkev. I think Ramkev is a fun combination of Pocky and Milk. He's got that creative brain that Pocky has, but he also has that ability to go serious when he needs to, like Milk does. And I think Ramkev has really proven at this point, having gone third at Worlds, having qualified through the ladder snapshot in set 555, that when it really matters, when he really needs to play well, he can. So those ladder games don't mean much to him, and that's okay, because when the games do matter, he really does seem to perform, so I think it's hard not to rate him highly. Yeah, and I love that Ramkev has actually been streaming a lot more and getting to see his personality. The dude's a total troll. He like actually likes messing around on ladder like more than almost anybody. Like every, I swear, I've turned to his stream like three or four times in the past week, and I'm like, all right, it's time to tune into Ramkev and learn something. This dude has Udir three with a different emblem on him every single time. And I, I just don't understand it. And I, I just type in OK's business the moment I see it. I'm like, all right, he's, he's trading. He's trading for sure. 
My favorite thing about uh, Ram kept taking it seriously was at the NA regionals where he was just having like one of the weirdest bad low roll games I had ever seen in my entire life. Nothing was going right. He ends up being forced into a Yasuo composition that he clearly didn't want to be going. And then he got to a point where he was just on like this massive losing streak. And then he finally, finally picked up a round win. And he just like, yes! And he was pumped about picking up this win. It looked like he had just won the freaking tournament. Like how excited he was about this win because he wasn't going to get eighth place is what it felt like anymore. And it was just like, that's how, how big of a difference that each little position at that regional spot really meant. And to see him kind of be that serious about it, where it's like, no matter what position he was in, the only thing he was looking for was just something positive in that light. Like that's the kind of attitude you have to have in a situation like this. Cause you just need every single point you can get. He took it super seriously. And it, and it was, it was really just showing the entire time. And it's pretty much shown throughout all of his competition. Yep. Totally. At number six, let's go with myself. I think is a good place to put me. I'd like to put myself higher. We've kind of talked about my strengths and weaknesses already. And I think that's kind of why I'm not willing to put myself higher is because I have not proven that I am in that same reign as these other guys that have qualified. I have won regionals that have been able to make it through. So I'd love to come back and revisit this list next set. And hopefully I can put myself higher. But right now, I think six is a pretty good spot. Honestly, I was surprised you even put yourself on the list. You're so humble that I was expecting you to leave yourself off. So six, I, I'm okay with that explanation. I, I'm ready to go to seven. Seven's Nubel. Um, I think Nubel's in a similar spot to me. He's got the consistent results on ladder. You know he's a good player. If, you, if you're thinking strongest players in A, he's probably one of the first that comes to mind. But just from tourney results, you can't really put him higher. And so he's he's in the same boat as me. As I, I would love to put him and myself higher. But until we you know make it through, a, a decent showing at regionals and on the worlds. I don't think we can go much higher than six and seven. It's only a matter of time. We've had two regionals where both of you were trying to go for. So yeah. just, just, just more bigger sample size. We just need more time. I know, that's really what it comes down to TFT. I don't think he's, I, I think New Battle is probably higher than the seventh best player, but we have so few, few games of actual serious team to judge it, what TFT to judge it with that it's, that's, that's that's why I have trouble with these tier lists. They're, it's really subjective. I can look back at this list 10 minutes from now and come out with a completely different one. So, Fair enough. Don't feel too concrete about answers I'm giving here. It's just kind of what I, comes to mind. I'm cementing this one on my gravestone. <laughs> that's right. We're screaming. Ramblitz at a tier list at 717 Pacific time on 922 2021. He was serious about this. Uh, number eight is going to be our third qualifier from na spencer i like spencer a lot he's kind of a quiet performer but he always is a performer and that's all it really comes down to tft doesn't matter how flashy you are he seems to get the job done and i think it was really awesome that he was able to make it yeah and he's like a legitimate threat in any tournament that he enters it's actually very fitting that he's eight here because he's also capable of being one and i feel like that just really defines him as a player as like i see spencer like recognize what to do in tournaments super well. Uh, and that's what makes him so scary. So I'm excited. I really hope he does well in play-ins. I, I want him to be to the main stage. Number nine, uh, let's go with Bert, Bertasaurus. I think Bert has Ooh. proven himself actually pretty well. Um, maybe he hasn't had the end results he's looking for, but in terms of his play, I think it's very impressive. He had a great showing in the duos tourney. He had an insane uh, tournament. That was the first real tournament I played in. Was the uh, the qualifier for last set? He had the same something similar to Robin, not quite as high of stakes, but the fact that you can ever have that many wins in a single tournament against NA's top players is hard not to be impressed by. So, just from playing against him and watching him play, 
Maybe his stream quality isn't the best, but his gameplay definitely is. You know, one thing that's pretty interesting is a lot of people, when they get asked about what makes Bert such a strong player, a lot of them give different answers. And I'm curious what you think is some of Bert's strengths as a player. He seems very good at getting to an endgame board. Uh, it's, like, I don't know what his preference is in terms of comps at this point, but every time I watch him, he always ends up with a strong level 8 board, and I have no idea how he got there. He just seems to find that pass so easily that I might not even be able to myself. So from him going from the beginning of the game to a capped ranger board, he, he loved playing as a failure in the Kale uh, in, in the recent tourney games. He seemed to do that really, really well. Right. I feel like no matter what game I've played, there's always been so many Burt that's near the top 10. Like, there's always a Burt something. I just, just always there. I can't think of another Burt, but uh, you'll have to tell me later. Let's go to number 10. Let's go. Let's go is another player I don't know very well. I don't think a lot of players, like, not a lot of people know him. They don't know him very well, but in terms of his performance, I think he's just a really strong player from playing against him, especially. I've played a lot against him. And he always seems to be a real threat to you know my placement in the game. So I would love to see Tetsuko perform more in the future. Not much to say there because, like I said, I don't I don't know him that well. But hey, I'm definitely impressed. Yeah, and I think that you know Setsuko is one of those players who easily could have also made it to top three NA regionals had things fallen a little bit more in his favor. Some really unfortunate turns. I mean, you could say that about a lot of people in the last day of regionals. It just felt like it was anybody's game except for. Maybe, you know, the the bottom two, but it was very, very tight. And it could easily be like a Setsuko conversation about how he's like a threat in every tournament as well. Um, all right. Robin's in chat and he sees number one says we take those. And then he asks, where is Soju rambling? Uh, this is a top 10 list, right? It, it is. I think we're not a here. top 100 list. I think we're good here. <laughs> all right. Wow. We're good here. I do think Soju is a much stronger player than people give credit to. I will say he has been playing really well um, in tourneys, and people love to meme yeah, on the eight eight seven five. But when it comes down to it, he he is a really good player. I mean, he liked to meme on eight eight seven five. He chose yeah. the team name. <laughs> That's true. It, it is something that he loves, and you know, you always love a guy that can uh, bounce back, which is, I guess, what Soju at least tries to be. Let's look at uh, the last segment here. We have the mailbags and giveaways. So we're going to answer a question here on screen in just a moment. But we're also going to be taking a question from chat. So if you want to ask Ramblin a question, and I've been in Ramblin's chat, many of you love to spam him with questions and distract him from the game. Get him in now in chat, and Ramblin will pick one, and you'll be a winner of $10. We'll PayPal you. Okay, business. Let's take a look at what we have here from Birsama. It says, hey, Ramblin. What will you miss the most about set five, and what do you look forward to slash hope to see in set six? What will I miss most about set five? I think it's hard to say what I'll miss at this point because we don't really know what all's going away. Um, I, a lot of the features that we talked about with the Phantom scale, especially the ones I want to see come back, I hope they come back. And I think a lot of them do have the potential, but talking about something I'll specifically miss. Um... I don't know. I, I think the problem with set five for me is nothing really stands out as exceptional. I think it's been a really strong set overall. It just hasn't been a very exciting set. So when I think about the what I'll miss, it's probably just the overall gameplay flow that kind of came with Radiant items of 
being able to slam those items early and play into your radiant items. I really like if like games feel very natural to me right now, and maybe I can get that feeling in a in set six as well. But it's it's going to feel different not having that option in my back pocket. Uh, what I look forward to, I mean, that's got to be duos. I think I think that's a pretty common answer. It's pretty confirmed answer for me at this point, and uh, I'm really looking forward to playing with Robin and you know, all my other friends that I've I've made here in the community. Oh, fair enough. Very wholesome once more. Is there a champion that you'll miss rambling at all? I know you said that there's nothing that stands out exceptionally. Uh, if, we can, if we can go back to set five, I miss Kindred. I think Kindred was an awesome unit. You can oh, use you love the invincibility or the uh, the invulnerability. Thing. It's not just that, though. It's that Kindred had a lot of different ways to build uh, the duo. You could, you could, you, I, I, it wasn't a very consistent build to play for, but I loved playing oh, AP lamp. Kindred. Yeah, you could you could give AP to Kindred, and it had ridiculous scaling because it scaled the wolf heal, it scaled the the wolf damage, and it scaled the uh, the invincibility field. So, being able to give the the pure stat items to Kindred that also boosted Lamb, I think it was awesome design, and it gave a lot of different ways to play them as a unit. Wow! Even in his answers about missing champions, it's a duos setup here. This man's all about pairing things together. Kindred, the, you know, Lamb and and the wolf, oh, it's great. It's so on brand. All right, have we solved for enough time, or is there another question here? Let me actually look. Let me look at the art questions. Okay, so we do have some questions kind of stream, streaming in. <laughs> some troll questions even from Mort Dog himself. We're probably not going to answer that one, Mort, sorry. Um, but as we post that, uh, Nathan, I'll ask you while, while Rambo's picking questions and going through stuff, what are you going to miss about set five, uh, either champion or or uh mechanic or anything about it i, I feel like the thing i'm probably going to miss in this set the most honestly is just the fact that so many things got introduced like this felt like such a unique set like so many different things happened and changed in this set like an, like a very large amount of them like, think about how many different things got added like armories got added to this one three six got added to this one uh, uh we had a second layer of items added to this one um it, it just it just kept going like all, all stuff gets kind of added all the time but like all of this stuff felt like it was very normal to me and like as soon as ramblin said game flow i was like Whoa. i was like that's exactly what it is like it, it does the game just feels very spot on at the moment like i i can't believe just how accurate of a description that ramblin gave to this but i couldn't i i mean i feel like i'm having epiphanies of how i felt about the set as soon as this description took place just like wow yeah the game just was flowed very very well and i just liked it in terms of like champions just draconic like <laughs> how am i ever <laughs> supposed to get past this like i try to go draconic literally every i find like an udir on two three and i'm like oh draconic that's possible like i just i don't know i just love draconic something about it certainly fun and i'm sure a similar mechanic is going to come back in the future we do have our chat question and this one's from nav underscore 10 question is would you like to see the chosen mechanic return in a future tft set Ramblin. I like this question because it's a very often asked one. It's a very debated one. A lot of people did not like Chosen for a lot of the set, but people started to kind of come around to it as the set went on and people figured out how to take advantage of it. I know Sox was a big proponent of it. I can't say that I was a personally big fan of it, but I did respect it for what it gave to the game in terms of pivot options and being able to quickly transition your comp from one to the other. I think when I think about it coming back, I do want to see it come back, but they need to address some of the bigger problems with it. Now, I don't think it would ever be the main mechanic of a set, which means it's going to be a little bit diminished in its impact on the game, which I think is probably for the better. But when I, when I think back to Chosen Mechanic, the biggest problem I always had with it was 
how it can swing a game regarding its four cost carries. You could be going perfect items for your comp. You have all the units you need. You're just waiting to hit your four cost carry. And then two people hit a chosen of that unit on seven and your game is over. There's not much you can do at that point. You can try to pivot. You can try to hope for that perfect chosen. But if someone else beats you to the punch, you're in a bad spot. So I think they really need to think about how they're going to prevent that cannibalization in the future. But I would love to see them use that idea behind it in the future of boosted units appearing in your shop. I think it's exciting. I think it adds a lot to the game. All right. Well, really great answer once again from Ramblin. And these are our winners for today. Congratulations, Birusama and Nav10. And that was a little bit of bonus phantom scale coverage because we didn't have time to do sets one through four from our fandom scale gradings, but Ramblin gave you a little dip into set four, so there you go. All right, and with that, that brings us to the end of this episode. We're, we're on time. This is great. So let's go ahead and get some final words and thoughts, starting from Admirable, since Ramblin was able to answer those questions. Any final words, thought? I just can't wait for Worlds. My gosh, something about international competition just always has me excited about this. Every single region feels like it has different kind of metas. They have different kinds of strategies, all this different stuff that comes together. It's just, I can't wait for this. And uh, I just, let's go Robin songs. I just want to scream, let's go as loud as I can, but I don't want to hurt anyone's ears either because I, I know that Robin's loud, but boy, am I way louder. Um, so just, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just, Ramblin, thank you for being on here. It's just, you have just a fantastic way of describing things. It's very rare that you find people that have articulate minds, and you definitely have one of them. And it's, it's something I'm very thankful for. So just thank you for being here. And thank you for everyone for watching. This is always fantastic. And thanks for having me as well. I just like being on shows where I talk about stuff because apparently that's what I've decided to do with my life is talk about things and hope to get some dollars for it. Um, so just thanks for me, for me being here. TFT community is great. And, uh, it's just, it's very rare that you find communities that are quite this awesome. I think when it comes to gaming stuff, as someone who's come doing this for 25 years, um, this is probably the best one I've been at. Oh, love you too, buddy. Ramblin', any final words and thoughts? Uh, thanks again for having me. That's all I can really say. I really, uh, appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I'm not somebody that's very comfortable on cam, but I was able to bring my best. And I think I did, you know, a good job here. And I really appreciate, uh, you guys having me. Oh, Ramblin, you're such a cutie, man. I think a lot of the chat would show up uh, and, and be very happy to see. I mean, most people haven't actually seen your face before. So in, a lot of, in some ways, this almost feels like a face reveal unless you saw it through either the tweet or the Streamer World Cup, which we're not going to talk a little bit more about because I think that's, that's questionable. So that just does it for <laughs> episode right here. Exactly what Nathan said. Definitely check out Worlds. It's coming up October 1st. For my shout out, I'm playing in Fight Night Rising tomorrow. I'm playing my first TFT tournament, and I'm going to go up against Jose Paulo and hope to stop his 10-week winning streak. I'm going to do my best. But the whole point for me is to just get tournament experience, and I'm going to come with a vengeance. I've been feeling it. So if you enjoy a little bit of TFT tournament action, I'll be competing tomorrow night. So make sure you check us right here at Giant Slayer TFT on Twitch. Uh, but that does it from us, Pro Dan Admirable Ramblin'. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Team Fight Talk Show, and we'll see you next time for more TFT action.